0: I titled my sermon Self Love. And before Craig runs out of here, (laughs) let me get to the main point. Loving God first and serving others will produce good fruit in our lives that will result in being content with oneself. When we are content with oneself, that is how we love ourselves—that That is hard to be content with yourself. God gave you the face that you currently have. He gave you the body shape you currently have. He gave you the heart that you currently have, the will, the strength, the lack of strength sometimes that you think you have. He gave it all to you. And he did it for a purpose. Was it my purpose? No, because obviously I would have changed all those things, right? No, he gave it for his purpose purpose according to his good work and that is the key so really the name of the the sermon today is not self-love it is self-love slash taming the beast taming the beast because the beast lives in each one of us it is important is it important to love yourself yes and no In the sense that we need to have a a decent self-image of ourselves, it's important. Uh, To love yourself, a lot of times when you love yourself, you put yourself before other people. And that's called selfishness. And that is pretty much straight up sin. So, is it the most important thing? Definitely not the most important thing. Does it even come in second? Probably not coming in second because... But you can look at different verses like Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and it says, Do unto others what you would like them to do unto you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Or Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And philosophically speaking, if I were going to love my neighbor, I need to know how to love myself, don't I? But Jesus is not implying that at all. What he is saying there is, We all know how to love ourselves. We all know how to survive. When it comes down to it, we will all survive. And so if we want to love our neighbor, we need to make sure they survive just as much or more than we do. That is hard to do. If we got down to a week's worth of living and we had a day's worth of food for two of us, The math doesn't add up there, does it? That's when it becomes nearly impossible to love your neighbor as yourself. That is impossible to love your enemy as yourself. And those are the things that Christ is calling us to do. Because we have our natural instincts of survival that want to kick in, that we want to live, and that is a a tough place to be in. So that's why it says, give us today our daily bread. Another prayer is... Lord, don't give me too much that I might not think I need you. Don't give me not enough so that I need to provide on my own. In a sense that I I become my own God and and steal for myself. This morning we'll look up the concept of loving self and how to do it. And Like I said before, our main point is this, so Craig doesn't run away, right? Uh, Love God first and serving others will produce good fruit in our lives that we will result in becoming content with oneself. Now, let's open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1. Now, if there were any verse in the Bible, there's a few verses in the Bible, a lot of them are written by John, that you could do a whole sermon on, this is one of those verses. So point 1 is going to be all about... Verse 1, there's a lot. It's a long verse, and it goes like this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has sevenfold spirit of God and the, the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wow. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I hope the Lord never says that about a white rose. This is a difficult place to be in because, in your head, it looks good. It looks good on paper. People are coming in, offerings are going up. We're going to have to expand, and everything is looking good. But we've lost our first love. We've turned away from our Savior, we've forgotten God's grace. So God knows all that you do. This is a comforting and terrifying statement all at the same time, isn't it? It's comforting because he still accepts us because even though we do wrong, and it's terrifying because we do wrong. And when we focus on ourselves, we like to focus on our goodness, don't we? We like to say, hey, look what I've done. Look how I've made this happen and, sorry, I can't take this anymore. There. I could hear myself coming in from the other room. <laughs> the speaker a little too loud over there. So as we, we look at ourselves, we like to look at our goodness, don't we? Well, I, I can do this. It's like building a resume to the Lord. What's the problem with building a resume to the Lord? It's works-based, isn't it? Our goodness is should be a result of our relationship and the grace God has poured out into us. And when we forget that, we miss the big picture big time. So what happens, what's the result of that? We, we like to say that we are a follower of Christ through our actions. We are commended and judged by our actions, and we see results in our actions and through our disciples that we produce. But all these actions, and they are true, they are good, but there is a but. I'm, I'm leading up to a but here. Why? We need to slow the horses down a little bit. Well, why, pastor? This is right. Faith has got to produce and things that's got to happen. Yes, you're right. James even says, faith without deeds is dead to all of this. I agree once again. However, we haven't asked why. Why are we doing these actions? Why do we want to do these things? What is our motivation? Do we love? Do we have faith? Why do we do what we do? These interactions. Read the second part. Of Verse 1 again says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Jesus is not questioning their actions here. He is questioning their motives for their actions. He is questioning their lordship. Who are you surrendering to? Who is in charge of your life? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Are you doing it to earn favor with God? That is not, that is a self-righteous faith, okay? If you, this is high school faith, okay? If you're in any walk of life, you should be able to identify this. If I want to be Craig's best friend, I go out and I find out what Craig likes to do. He likes Lincoln, and so I find Lincoln books for Craig, so, and I read them before I give them to him, so I have something to talk to Craig about, and we can have this relationship. But what's that built off of? It's built off of my desire to have Craig in my life. One, it's not necessarily reciprocal. It can be sometimes. But shouldn't I be able to give to Craig in that sense because I want to give to Craig and not to expect anything in return. Isn't that not what our heavenly father did when he gave us Jesus Christ? Did he expect us then to choose him or did he give us a choice in whether to choose him? He gave us a choice, didn't he? It's free will. It is our decision whether we want to go to heaven or hell. God Opened the door for us. He gave us his son. Jesus defeated death. He rose from the grave again. But then he gave us the choice whether we wanted to choose to be with him or go our own way. What are the results? Eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell? Eternal is the key. Once we're born, Our spirits don't die, right? Can we agree on that? Once we're born, our spirits do not die. Our physical body has to die. That is a result of original sin. Our physical body is corrupted. It has to go. Our spiritual self is redeemable if we have a Redeemer. Who is our Redeemer? Jesus Christ. Now, I said that three different ways, three different times, okay? This is the point for today. God's grace is sufficient for us, and we have to choose him. So why do we get involved in church? Or why maybe you get involved with the food pantry, or the youth group, or Bible study, or Sunday morning service, or serving in the kitchen? Maybe it's serving in children's church. If God is not your first and biggest motivator, then you are not surrendered to him if you're doing it to make the pastor happy, if you're doing it to make yourself look good, if you're doing it to make sure that the children get their education, all those things are great things, but they are not the thing. Following God, putting Him first, is number one always. It's something we have to refocus, and the more and more I study uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it's getting back to the basics. It's something that I've learned coaching volleyball, and I learned this actually from our softball coach at Norwood. She has been playing softball for years. She's coached softball for years. And you know what? She still coaches at all level? How to catch the ball, how to throw the ball, how to hit the ball. back. Down to the basics. You scoop, and if you don't come up with a pile of dirt, you're not ready to play infield. Probably not ready to play outfield either. You should, your glove should be dirty, which for me, an outfielder, I hate getting my glove dirty. I hate it. All right, it's a pet peeve of mine, uh, but you have to take care of leather to make sure it lasts. And so you have to get your glove dirty to play infield. Has to be. Okay? When you serve God Almighty, your knees got to get dirty, right? Or you're doing it wrong. And he has to be the reason you get down on your knees. If you're getting down on your knees for any other reason than him first, and then others second, and then yourself maybe third, maybe fourth or fifth down the line, then you have to have your priorities straight right we've talked about joy what's the how, the acrostic for joy the nice one that looks pretty j o y jesus others you and if you keep that in priority joy will fill your hearts and that's not easy to do all the time so serving is important, but if God's not first, then you have not surrendered to him. Our motivation to love must come as a result of what God has done. He died on the cross. Now I have a desire to serve like he served, okay? Not from what I've done, from what God has done. This is grace-based, What God has done for me, therefore I serve. God surrendered his life for me, therefore I become a steward. I surrender to him, now I have a desire to serve. What the world teaches, what many churches in America teach, is the opposite of that. I have to do good things to earn my way into heaven. That is a lie from Satan. Satan. And it looks so good because it's filled with the truth just flipped up on its head. Satan does that all the time. You look at relationships. You look at how God works in people's lives. And a lot of times it's opposite. It's flipped upside down. I'm not going to get into that because I could do a whole sermon on that. We talked about that last two weeks in sexual immorality. So you can go back and review those things. The point is this, loving God first and serving others will produce good fruit in our lives that will result in being content with one's self. Contentment is the key to self-love. I'm convinced of it. When we are content, we are in harmony with the Lord. When we are not content, we have a longing in our heart that we need to take to the Lord. That's a tough, tough statement there for this pastor to hear himself say sometimes. Revelation 3, 2 and 3. Wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you have heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. There's the warning. It makes me think of a Petra song. Where's your sting? Where's your bite? When the grave robber comes like a thief in the night, where's your sting? Where's your bite? When the grave robber comes and then finally dies, because Jesus Christ has conquered him, hasn't he? Our actions have to be the result of God's grace. That's the big point in this section. Our actions have to be the result of God's grace. Through actions of submission. Another hard word. We need to seek a redeemer. Jesus paid for your sins. He paid for my sins on the cross, right? There's no need to earn salvation, There's no need to try to become something that I am not. It's hard to accept this sometimes, but it's essential for salvation. We have to understand that God has all the authority. He gave up all that authority to submit to his heavenly father, and then he earned it all back, right? When he resurrected from the grave because he was the perfect sacrifice. It's essential. Once we understand how much God gave his, in his son to save us, it is silly to think that we have anything to offer God as payment. Let me say that again. Once we understand how much God gave in his son to save us, yesterday I gave an illustration about if the country was in siege and they were going to wipe out the whole nation that we lived in and accept if only you, you put your name in there, were willing to give up something. And they said, yeah, absolutely. To save the, the nation, I'd give up anything. He says, well, you would give up anything? Yeah, whatever you do to me, I, I do your worst, right? i do it for our country. And he says, okay, but everything, I want you to give up your son. I want you to give up your daughter, And all those things that you described, we're going to do it to them while you watch. Can you do that? Oh, no, that wasn't the deal. That's not what we decided. No, you said anything. And that is anything. And that's exactly what God did for us on the cross, isn't it? He gave up his son. And he he couldn't even look because his son bared the weight of sin on him. And he had to turn away. He couldn't even support his son. When Jesus cries out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he wasn't there at that moment. Jesus had to bear the weight of the sins of the world and surrender to God. He set the example of surrender. We have to follow that example. It's unfathomable what he's done for us. And it's silly to think that we have anything that we could offer in our goodness that he would even want as a payment. We come to the point of surrender. We must submit to Jesus as Lord, as King of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Matthew 22, 37, right? Right? The greatest commandment. And once we've submitted to God's love, we will understand as he pours into us, it fills our hearts and then pours into others. Then our actions are the result of the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord gives us strength. That's a great saying, Shane, but where do you find that? That's in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah 8, 10. Okay? The joy of the Lord gives me strength. Joy comes with mourning, like weeping and sorrow. You can still have joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is having God in your heart, directing your path to care about others, even when it's hard. It's it's being able to have hope that that bill is going to get paid, even though you don't have the funds for it. But God's going to provide a way, right? God makes the way. He gives us joy. He gives us peace that passes understanding in those times too. That's how you know you're resting in joy. When that peace comes, you don't know why it's there, but it's there. That means the Lord's present. Acts of faith result from the understanding of grace. When we realize that the Lord... Has done for us. It's easy to serve. It's easy to put other people's needs before our own. It is easy to love our enemies. It's easy to be in third place. You ever see those videos on Facebook? It says I am second. It's a it's a really neat organization. Sometimes their faith is a little shallow, but hey, the fact that they put their testimony out in front of uh, thousands of people on. Is pretty impressive. And I am second is a ministry that, that makes the realization that I don't belong in first place. God belongs in first place. I am second. And that in this case, I would say I am third, because once you realize that, that's, a, that's justification. Once you start walking in sanctification, you see other people becoming more important than yourself okay we can serve anywhere for a time so like it's a blessing to be able to serve where we're gifted right you find your joy when you are able to use your spiritual gifts so like Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 says now these are the gifts of the church that gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. These are your spiritual gifts. These are a good list of them. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's a set of five. There's a set of seven in Romans. There's another set in, I can't think where the other ones are right offhand, Um but we still have that, that worksheet on the back and on the welcome table as well. They're there listed. They're also in the bulletin inserts. If you go into the, um, the PDF with your phone to get your bulletin on the drive, I leave that in there too for your spiritual gifts. So if you're interested in that, it's still out there. When we serve in our gifted area, it is easy and sustainable to serve well. Though, I will say, we can serve anywhere for a time, okay? You can be like, honey, can you get the dishes done for me tonight? Well, I'd love to, but uh, that's just not my spiritual gift. I'm, I'm more of a preacher, teacher, honey. And she goes, you better learn how to serve tonight. If you know what's good for you. She would never say that, but... She would give me the look, I'm sure, if I ever came with that. Uh, that's hilarious. I better do some dishes today. <laughs> so, but that would be ridiculous, right? How how much would it be if we if God asked you to share your testimony to the youth? And you're like, I'm not a public speaker. He's like, I'm only asking you to do it once. Go. Go, in a sense, do those dishes, right? Do what you don't necessarily want to do for God's glory. I'm not a good speaker. In, my we- in your weakness, I am stronger, right? Praise God. Love God first, serve others, and serving others will produce good fruit in our lives that will result in being content with oneself. Finishing off Revelation, we will then skip to Zechariah, but 4 through 6, says yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil they will walk with me in white for they are worthy all who are victorious will be clothed in white i will never erase their names from the book of life but i will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine anyone who hear with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying To the churches. This is me pausing and trying not to go on a tangent. Okay, here we go. I'm not going. Grace through faith results in victory. Grace through faith results in victory. What does winning feel like? You ever won? You ever win a tournament? You ever win a soccer game, football? baseball, basketball. Feels good, doesn't it? There's achievement. There's hitting your goals, sometimes exceeding your goals. If you're a track person, you get a personal record a PR. Those are all fun. But in sports for me, it was going head down as hard as I can for as long as I could. And when the buzzer sounds, I look up, and if I did, all that I could do to aid the team, then I f- figured I won. I left it all on the court, and I, and I did my best. It was even better if the score reflected that, and my team got the win as well. If I made somebody else on my team better than, uh, because maybe I could have taken the shot, but I gave him the shot this time. He scored, and now he's, he's figured something out, and look at him scoring all the time now. So, if I got to take a little bit lesser seat, but my team does better, I'm excited. I kind of feel like I had a hand in that too. On Christ's team, we will get new white jerseys that show us to be pure. And if we accept him and put him first, then he accepts you. And this is our call to worship this morning Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says, Now, just as you accepted Christ, the verse. First, more, most important step, you accepted Christ. Why? Because He accepted us, right? We love because He first loved us. First John 4:19. We cannot get there without God's grace. God's grace is built in His love. Therefore, we can love because He loved first. right? Accept Christ as your Lord. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down in him, and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let your roots grow down deep. Continue to walk and grow in your faith, also known as sanctification. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is a great picture of sanctification. You want a good definition? Biblical definition of Sanctification is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. You accept, then this is what you do. You grow. We all stand before the Lord in judgment. We all stand there one day. What's it going to look like? Does God give us a picture of what it's going to look like? I feel a Bible verse coming on. Right? Right? Turn to Zechariah. Open your Bible. It's about right in the middle. You might have to go to the front of your Bible. Zechariah tiny. It's kind of hard to find. Chapter 3. Well, what verse in, in chapter 3, pastor? Well, we're, we're going to read all of it. Zechariah chapter 3 is the best picture of salvation happening. The process of justification and sanctification. It happens in Zechariah chapter 3. It reads like this: Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, i the lord reject your accusation, satan yes the lord who has chosen jerusalem rebukes you notice he rebukes satan with god's name okay that's pretty important there okay this man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire joshua's clothing were filthy as he stood there before the angel so the angel said to the others standing there take off his filthy clothes and turning to Joshua, he says, see, I've taken your sins away, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Where do we see that? We see that in when, uh, oh, shoot, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus raised from the grave, right? Take off those grave clothes. It's, he's referencing this passage. Then the angel of the Lord spe- spoke very specifically to Joshua, saying, this is what the Lord of heavenly armies says, if you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courts, and I will let you walk among those others standing here. Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and at and all of you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going. Excuse me. Soon you're going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets will engrave an inscription on it saying the Lord of heaven's armies and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit down with you peacefully under your own grape and fig tree. Praise God. Praise God. Jeshua. What's another name for Jeshua? Yeshua. What's another name for Yeshua? Jesus. That's right. Right? Now, I can see Jesus fitting this bill a lot, but I also see this being Jesus' church a lot as well. It's there, because Jesus took our filthy clothes and stacked them on that him, and then he gave up and became white as snow. But there's a process there of afterwards, okay, this is what I've given you. Jesus didn't need the instructions afterwards because he fulfilled the instructions beforehand, so he was naturally going to fulfill the ones afterwards. The church, on the other hand... We need to walk the process of sanctification. A lot lot of, if you do this in the Bible, then this will happen. Right? It's important to remember those statements, the front side to receive the back side. We just want to go to the back side and be like, okay, God, give it to me. No, that's not how it works. You have to work the front side to get the back side. Okay? So let's walk through this just a little bit. The Lord rejects Satan's accusations. Yet he is like the one who was snatched from the fire. He was taken off his dirty rags and put on white robes. He is under God's grace. He recognizes that he can't get out of here without a Savior. And he looks around the room, and who speaks for him? Satan is there accusing him, and who speaks for him? God Almighty does. The God of the universe says, I rebuke you, Satan. Does Shane House have any authority over Satan? Absolutely not. So if I were to say, Satan, look at all these good works that I've done. Look at all these good things that I've done. I rebuke you. Satan would laugh in my face and say, you are nothing. I have never heard of you. Is there a story like that in Acts? Absolutely. The seven sons of Siva, remember? They're like, they tried to rebuke this demon. He says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But you, I don't know. And he whoops them, shreds their clothes, sends them outside the house, buck naked and running. And the fear of the Lord fell on that community, right? So if I'm going to rebuke Satan, I don't do it in Shane's name at all. That's wickedness. That's straight up wrong. I do it in the name of Jesus Christ because all my power, all my authority comes from him. Amen? Amen. That's where we get it from in the church. This process that we see of the the grave clothes coming off, that is justification. Okay? That is justification. Now, verse 7 is the definition of sanctification and glorification. So we saw it in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, but we see it again here in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 7. We see sanctification, and he throws a little bit of glorification on there too. It goes like this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. So we have an if statement. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, the result is good. You will be given authority. What kind of authority will be given? What's it look like? That's the authority that Christ received. Right? We will be have the authority similar To the Son of God. That's pretty, whoa, right? Where does our authority come from anyway? It comes from the Son of God, right? I'm not saying we're the same as Jesus, but we'll have the same authority, access to the same authority that he wields, okay? A single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on this. I don't know necessarily what the stone represents, but I would venture to guess it to be the church. It, you see it a little bit later, another set of sevens in chapter four when we get there. And you see it in Revelation, talking about the seven, seven lampstands and things. And it's before the altar of God. The seven lampstands, we find out in Revelation, represent um, the church. Where do we see the seven lampstands in Jewish tradition? The menorah, right? We have the church sitting before God's altar in the Holy of Holies, right? We are before the throne of God. Whoa. Possessed by Christ, we serve, my servant, the branch, must remove the sins and will remove the sins in a single day. God provides the solution. Who provided the problem? I did. You did. We all did. Right? Mankind. We're good at it. We provide sin, but God provided the solution in the form of a man, and he won. Let's move on to Zechariah chapter four. It talks about the lampstand and two olive trees. Then the angel who has been taken, been talking to me, returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now, he said. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees and one with each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? You don't know? The angel says, no, my Lord. Okay, so the confusion here, he goes, you don't know. It was obvious to him because he's been in the presence of the Lord. He's understood. He's seen it. And this is old hat for him. But for Zechariah, they've kind of walked away from God. They've walked away from what he desires for them. And it's not necessarily as clear as it, it used to be. Okay, so it goes on. You don't know? No, my Lord. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Zerubbabel, who's the one that brings him back to and builds the temple of the Lord. He's also, Jesus descends from Zerubbabel. So we also have a Christ likeness here because you'll see it in a second here. Is not force, is not with force or strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. Mighty mountain, Calvary, Okay. That's when Jesus dies on the cross. That's what that's referring to. It will, it will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, a.k.a. Jesus, the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. When it's emphasized twice in the Hebrew language, you pay attention. When it's emphasized three times, it's usually referring to the God. Okay? So it's ten times the blessing, right? Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple, and he will complete it. And then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to, to see the plunge line in Zerubbabel's hand. And then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees with one on each side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out the gold, golden oil through the golden two golden tubes? You don't know? No, my Lord. Well, he doesn't know because he hasn't seen it yet. This is this is projecting Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then he says they rep- represent the two anointed ones, Jesus, Holy Spirit, who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth, Zerubbabel. Is Jesus, by my spirit, this is going to happen. God's going to pour out his spirit on the earth. Only by grace and the power of God do we have the authority over sin, over death. By his grace, by his power, his authority, a mighty mountain will be removed. What mighty mountain gets us all? Death, right? God's going to remove that barrier from us through Jesus. Jesus is the final stone. He lifts us up, the new covenant of grace, a plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. This is sanctification, folks. A plumb line. What do we use a plumb line for? Bricklayers use them a lot, right? You drop your plumb line down to make sure your wall's straight. What happens if your wall's not straight? Your house crashes, right? God wants to make sure we have a firm foundation that we build our lives on in Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. So, what if we see that we got a brick a little bit off? We better get our chisel out, right? We better get our chisel out. We better get right with the Lord. Sometimes it's easy to get right with the Lord. Sometimes it's the, the mortar's still loose and we can pull that or push that brick around. But sometimes those sins, they're set in, they're tight. And we got to get the chisel out and we got to carve that brick out to move it. And it hurts. And it's hard. And it doesn't happen right away. We want it to happen instantly, but it doesn't. So we need to straighten up. We need to live right. And we need to love right. We put God first. We allow the joy to be our strength. The two olive branches that pour out into the golden oil, they're Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Grace through faith results in victory. Love God first. Serve others will produce good fruit in our lives that will result in being content with oneself. Contentment is key. When you find yourself not being content in some area, you need to examine your lordship. You need to examine where Christ is in your life. And then you need to combat that head on. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our love, that our love for ourselves results from the love that we have for you. You're a God who is full of love, full of compassion, rich in understanding, and we exalt your name because you are worthy. You died on the cross. You rescued us from this present evil age, and you have a desire to pour out your Spirit onto us. Lord, we pray that we would come to you humbly, seeking you first, loving you first, and guiding and directing our lives in a path that puts you first and then results in serving others and then results in good works and then results in our joy, our fun, our talent. Lord, we give it to you. Lord, I confess that I'm not always doing this. I surrender these to you once again. and I praise God that you've taught me even this week how to have the joy, have Jesus first in my life. Guide and direct us this week. Lead us, protect us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.